We have to go back! everyone and welcome back to the flashback flicks retro movie podcast i'm ricky i'm grayson and today we are not only bringing you the review of the 1984 movie goonies oh. um but we are also donning a new era known as flashback flicks season three whoa i didn't even know i didn't get you anything <laughs> So, Grayson, if you do recall, our very first episode was on October 21st, I believe. That's Back to the Future Day, right? Back to the Future Day. And so, uh, even though technically that would have been our last week one, we planned for this episode to be the launch of uh, Season 3 of Flashback Flicks. So, welcome. We've been doing this now. This is the beginning of our third year. I can't believe that. We have watched so many movies that I never <laughs> thought I would either see or see again. Let alone have a conversation about it where dozens of people are listening. Dark Man? You remember that one? <laughs> I do. Oh, what a time. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening uh, and leaving amazing reviews and tweeting us some amazing theories. I, I like to think of this thing as somewhat of a movie club. So uh, mm -hmm. thank you mm -hmm. for being a part of this for three seasons. And I'm glad that we are using this classic movie to kick it off. As a special season three celebration... We're happy to offer this promotion that if you go to any Don Cajito's Mexican <laughs> restaurant and tell them Flashback Flicks sent you, they will give you the most robust high five you have ever experienced. That's right. And uh, one special listener will receive um, a DVD of season one of Modern Family. Uh -huh. uh, that's like a legitimate thing we could do, though. That is a thing we could do. I'll save that. I'll pocket that. Uh -oh. <laughs> but you know what you can't pocket? The windmill surprise at Don Cajito's. <laughs> well, while it's our season three, the exciting thing is that season two of Stranger Things is upon us. It is Ish. here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we just need to release a whole album of us uh, we doing really do. <laughs> acapella movie themes. Uh, yeah, but it's With here. And so to celebrate that, we're going to kick off our season three and their season two with the Goonies. Oh, yeah. Now, in case you don't remember the Goonies because it's been too long, uh, the Goonies is a movie uh, written by Home Alone writer Chris Columbus. No relation. And director of the first couple Harry Potter films. Yeah! Um, and also directed by, uh, or produced by Steven Spielberg, yep. who, you know, made all the things. E.T., all that. And directed by Richard Donner, who uh, also uh, directed Lethal Weapon and the original 1970s super, mo uh, super movie, Superman movie. Uh, just a star-studded creative team. Uh, the Goonies is a movie all about a small group of kids living on the goon docks of Astoria, Oregon, real city. We'll get into that mm -hmm. later. And in classic 80s fashion, 
the owners of a local country club have threatened their family's homes with foreclosure so that they can finish building a new addition to that country club. And on one of the last days in the neighborhood, one of the Goonies, Mike, played by Sean Astin, discovers a treasure map in the attic. And the map supposedly reveals that there is treasure left behind by the infamous pirate One-Eyed Willie and appears to lead somewhere underneath Astoria. So Mikey and the rest of the Goonies decide to try to save their neighborhood by going after the treasure. But to get it, they must outwit a trio of mobsters and survive numerous death traps designed to keep One-Eyed Willie's treasure safe from outsiders. Well recapped. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, the movie did amazingly well uh, in the box office. It had a budget of $19 million, which you think is pretty cheap for a giant boat and all the things that they destroyed. Yeah. Uh, and it made $61 million in the box office in 1984, might I add, which is no small feat. And it quickly became a cult classic. Legendary movie critic uh, Roger Ebert said in his 1985 review of The Goonies, and I quote, There used to be children's movies and adult movies. Now Spielberg has found an in-between niche for young teenagers who have fairly sophisticated tastes in horror. His technique is to take his 13 and 14-year-olds and let them act a little older than their age. It's more refreshing than the old Disney technique, which was to take characters of all ages and have them behave as if they were 12. Yeah. Uh, which is an amazing observation from him. The Goonies also has like such an amazing retro star-studded cast because at the time uh, you wouldn't think that Josh Brolin. Like I, I, I saw the name in the credits and I said, "Oh, Josh Brolin." Mm -hmm. Who'd have thought there are two Josh Brolins in Hollywood? And I said, "They're the same." Yeah, SAG doesn't really allow there to be two Josh Brolins. <laughs> there can only be one. And yet and then, somehow. He is two Marvel characters. So maybe there are two Josh Brolins. Yeah. And uh, my favorite fun fact uh, is uh, Sean Astin and Corey Feldman uh, are both in this movie and both in the future voiced two different Ninja Turtles. Uh, Sean Astin is the current voice of Raphael on the Nickelodeon uh, 2012 revival of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm -hmm. and Corey Feldman was the voice of Donatello in the live-action 1991 uh, Ninja Turtles movie. I'm sorry, 1990 Ninja Turtles movie. Uh, which I was like, two turtles in the movie! Before they were even turtles. And I thought that that was real fun. Well, you know, if there's ever a group of people getting into mischief or trouble... Uh, Corey Feldman has to be there because I mean, Absolutely. Stand By Me, Goonies, Gremlins, Lost Boys, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, he is just at the epicenter. He can't help it. Yep, he really can't. And I'm sure, Grayson, you were wondering, yes, The Goonies was, in fact, released on Laserdisc in 1986. Oh, I was wondering. Read my mind. <laughs> Whoever owns Goonies on Laserdisc, uh, let us know what scene is the uh, halfway point where you have to flip the disc over. I think... For season three, this kicks off a new segment called Disc Flip. At oh! what point, when this was released on Laserdisc, did you have to turn it over? I know exactly where it was with heavyweights, but this is not a heavyweights review. So, I have a couple more fun facts before we get into our reactions. The reaction to the pirate ship 
was, in fact, uh, method acted. Uh, Richard Donner did not allow the cast to see the pirate ship before the scene was shot because he wanted the reactions to be as genuine as possible. Uh, And so there's that. Uh, June 7th was officially declared Goonies Day by the mayor of Astoria. Movie put that town on the map. Tens of thousands of visitors join every year just to pay tribute to that movie. So that's awesome. And this is cut from the movie, but I thought it was very interesting. The Goonies have an oath. And so the oath goes like this. I will never betray my goondock friends. We will stick together until the whole world ends. Through heaven and hell and nuclear war, good pals like us will stick like tar. Flex rhyme. In the city or the country or the forest or the boonies, I am proudly declared a fellow Goonie. And the last little fun fact I have is One-Eyed Willie's ship, the Inferno, was 105 feet long and took two and a half months to construct. It was modeled after Errol Flynn's ship in the Seahawk, the movie that they are watching. And um, some of the ship's rigging uh, was recycled for the Pirates of the Caribbean ship at Disneyland, which was being renovated at the time. Nice. Before they had to renovate it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually have a fun fact this time, Ricky. Do tell. My fun fact is that if you're watching at the end of the movie when they're all giving interviews hastily, and uh, Data mentions that he was most scared by the octopus fight, that is because there was an octopus fight that got cut out of this thing. Uh, they oh, just yeah. never cut it out of that final line. So it makes Data look absolutely crazy when he's like, I was most scared <laughs> by the octopus. Um, no, it happened. We just never saw it. Yeah, yeah. there were a couple of things that got cut mm-hmm. from the movie, um, which I would love to see that version. In fact, I think I read that a lot of the TV versions include a lot of the deleted scenes, including the octopus scene. Oh. Uh, but never on the uh, DVD release. We need to get as... the uh, like final cut, like we did for Blade Runner. Oh yeah, a lot of less uh, narrating, a more ambiguous ending about like, do they land? And they say, "Hey, he found the rubies, or were they there anyway? Yeah. How did they know that they Nobody were there?" Knows. It's all answered in Goonies twenty forty nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to go into our reactions. So, Grayson, uh, when was actually the first time that you saw The Goonies? Good question, Rick. You normally ask me the last time, but the first time, I feel like I got to this movie later than I should have. I first saw it, I think it was my sophomore or junior year in high school, um, whereas I feel like a lot of uh, our friends probably grew up with it in the same way that I grew up with Back to the Future. Um, I just never had exposure to it until high school. And then I, I've seen it a couple of times since then. Um, but there is a magic to it that would just be amazing as a kid. And I've heard friends of ours who are like huge Goonies fans who have done the Astoria tour and all of that. And this is a formative movie for them. This is really like a staple in a lot of 80s childhoods. So uh, for me, I, I could appreciate it. And watching it, 
for this episode, I, I was laughing out loud. Like, I love Data. I think Sean Astin is amazing. Um, and I, I noticed what you were saying about how the, the kids talk older than they actually are. Like, you can have Corey Feldman just speaking Spanish and being trolly to the to the housekeeper that, that's coming in. And you don't need to explain it. Like, you don't need to explain why he's fluent in Spanish. That's just, he has that ability. Um, and so it's it's refreshing to see these characters really be at their height and still maintain their, their childlike wonder. So I could appreciate it from that perspective. And then the story was just fun. But I do feel, I, I wish I could go back and, and watch this, like, as I, I probably wasn't allowed to watch it because there's more language than you would typically expect from a kid's movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I wish I could watch it like around age t- 8 or 10, 12-ish and uh, get that like 80s magic. Absolutely. Yeah, I felt the same way. Um, I also uh, saw this movie way later than a lot of people have, which is to say uh, in 2017, um, <laughs> this was my first watching of Goonies. and wow. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I definitely felt like I missed out on a lot. Um, there were, so, it felt like the movie went so fast, um, and to the point where at the end of the movie, when I saw the credits roll, I said, "What did I just watch?" And it wasn't until I like even read the synopsis that I realized, "Oh, I get it now." Because the even the premise, like, "Hey, the country club will be built on." this area and none of these kids, all these kids have to basically relocate. Yeah. I didn't even know it was everyone. Like all the other kids were affected. Yeah. I thought it was it's just really subtle. Yeah. Like uh, they, they, they slowly give you details and I appreciated that. But at the yeah. same time I was like, but what, what is all, I don't get it. But knowing that bit of information, everything makes 10 times more sense. Like this is the last hurrah. We can actually find a way to like save, our town and our area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things like that uh, went over my head the first viewing of it. Um, and so that kind of made, I think that kind of spoiled my experience of it to some degree um, because I, I, I didn't get a chance to just awe and marvel at it as much um, yeah. because I was, I, it took me a while to get on board with like what was actually happening. It's interesting because if you look at the entirety of what this story is, the inciting incident is technically before the movie even begins, which is them being told they have to relocate. Uh, you could make an argument that the inciting incident is actually them like finding the map, which in the confines of the movie it is. But for these characters, like the map is just a tool to deal with that thing that already happened uh, and something that we never saw. So that allows us to get to all of this like fun and game stuff a lot faster, uh, which I really appreciated. Um, and they also do a great job at showing that these are like formidable villains that they're going against right up front. Like there is real danger here. Like they would have put his hand in the blender. Like there is no doubt that they would probably kill these kids if they actually could. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that that's exactly what you need to create something that's gripping and doesn't feel safe um, because the, the more risk there is, the more uh, of a payoff it is when they, they overcome that. And they set that up really nice. But lopping off that whole thing about, I'm so glad we don't have to sit through the country club, like knocking on their door and saying, well, you're being rezoned and we're moving in. It trickles out so you can kind of piece together. And it doesn't 
like dumb itself down for the benefit of the audience, mm-hmm. which I, I really respect. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think the thing I, uh, I think it was the moment where um, Sloth ripped off his shirt and was wearing a Superman t-shirt and everyone just was like cheering I said I get it I see what this movie is um, and despite the language I'm like this is for kids like either like teens or, or, or preteens like this is like they're in that that's what this is for like I remember um, there's a moment in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where they reference something from my childhood and I just cried i cried <laughs> tears of joy uh because it was the perfect reference to make and i said oh yes this is and i i was just like cheering i'm like oh i see i see what this movie and what this moment is and it is oh it's such a great movie it's like a younger breakfast club um just a lot of degrees like a less um well yeah i i'm just i'm gonna leave it there i'm gonna leave that there yeah no i think you can equate it to a lot of other movies of that style like for me uh sandlot was probably the closest equivalent yeah where it was like this group of misfit the kind of personalities fit together and and against this common enemy it's just the dog was never actually going to kill any of the kids whereas uh in goonies yeah uh, those fugitives would kill some kids. Oh, absolutely! It's, uh, uh, very <laughs> upsetting, actually. It's it's even hard to say out loud in the this podcast. Um. <laughs> Add this to Grayson's case file. No, um. <laughs> I was acquitted. <laughs> oh yeah, seriously. Like I love how the movie opens up with um a a fake a a uh, a suicide fake out um. With people then lighting a jailhouse parking lot on fire. Yeah. And then I said, I'm sorry, I thought this was the Goonies. And apparently, and then it's just like, then they're speeding by all these different kids that are going to be the cast, the characters in the movie. Yeah. And it wasn't just anyone setting it on fire, it was three time flashback flicks appearance by Joe Pantoliano. Totally forgot he was in this movie. Oh my god! We've done a lot of Joe Pan uh, in the last couple weeks, so. Let it go, Joe Not Pan. that I'm complaining. He's great. I mean, Joe Pan, you have won a complimentary uh, Don Quijito uh, burrito at Don Quijito. Redeemable now. Promo code Flashback Flicks or Season One Luke from Modern Family both work we really have the two jokes mm-hmm. that's it that's it and it's now that it's season three we just might come up with a third we just might was there anything that you noticed this time around um at, since watching it when you were a young lad so here's the thing i was part of a, a comedy show for a long time that had to recreate um a, a lot of retro movies for one of the segments. And probably the one we got more than any other movie from the audience was the Goonies. So I knew this movie very well from reenacting it uh, every weekend. And um, surprisingly, I played data. Well, 
you know, you're just going to have to get over it. But <laughs> I, uh, I try to do it as respectfully as possible. But Data makes me laugh more than anyone else in the movie. And it's been a while since I've seen it because it's been a while since I've done that show. Um, and I, I don't know. I just really connected with him. And I was like, this, this character, like, I, I love it. Like, he's just full of wonder, full of ingenuity. Um, and I was able to appreciate that a lot more. I also appreciated Chunk a lot more, too. Mm. He cracked me up. And I know that he's been, like, a, a favorite for a long time for a, a lot of uh, fans of the movie. At first, I was like, okay, I, it seems like an easy bit. Watching his performance in this, though, where he's, like, telling – he's, like, spilling his guts and, like, confessing to all these things and how he gets so scared he can't even make a sound and he just kind of shakes. I was like, this – kid is great like he really does just tap into these raw reactions that are totally believable um so i was able to appreciate that a lot more rather than just like the fun and games and hijinks of everything that's going on in the main story and lastly uh i mean Corey feldman's great uh josh brolin's great but sean astin is a glue to this movie that i uh gotta give him credit for like i've i've never seen a sean astin movie that i disliked to be honest i don't know how many sean astin movies i could really name uh other than like the major ones like lord of the rings and stuff like that all right welcome to another edition of <laughs> name three sean astin films that's not goonies or lord of the rings oh rudy rudy 2 and rudy 3 this time is personal <laughs> you win uh, I, and I think Sean Astin has had such a consistent career, uh, and I think this movie really shows why. Because um, even at a young age, he had maturity way beyond what he should have had. He's able to convey that, play the highs and lows, and I was I was gripped uh, whenever he is like dealing with the loss of his town. Like he genuinely feels for the loss of his town, and whenever he and Josh Brolin would really like let their differences go to the side and have these very real brother moments about how scared they are to move on and um, how they see the the burden that their parents are under. I was like, whoa, I was not prepared to feel this um, and definitely not something I picked up on in the past. But it is um, it, it is that chemistry that um, I Josh Brolin obviously can bring it, but Sean Astin as such a, a much younger character, a much younger actor, is able to match him in that and uh it's uh it's really special i i there are just a lot of special performances from a very young cast and uh in a way the younger actors are able to exhibit more maturity through their characters than the older characters and i think that's a really great dynamic that they were able to deliver on Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm. as you were saying that, you made me realize something. At the end, uh, it's the first time that we see all of the parents of all yeah. the kids. And it's this really cool moment with uh, which, fun fact, a lot of those parents were the actual parents of the child oh. actors. Um, and you have these really sweet emotional moments happening. Like when Data's dad said, you are my favorite invention. I was like movie no you don't get to make me feel these things <laughs> and i loved it but it was a time where i think that movie really rounded out how you know you have these kids who are acting like adults mm -hmm. um but then you realize that they're still kids and they like yeah. 
love their family and like they they were doing all this for them as much as they were doing it for themselves i'm just like oh yeah movie i wasn't expecting all these complex feelings and i don't think it just rounded out that feeling i think it short rounded it out (sighs) bye (laughs) i think we found our season three joke all right uh so grayson i found this old map and it says if if we take 10 paces forward and go underneath the old restaurant the old burnt out don quijito we just might discover some head cannon head cannon it's time for head cannon the part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film uh grayson after our last episode i feel like you have to start you know Otherwise, what? No, I think Ricky. No, no. <laughs> no Grayson, I think don't do this. No way. Don't do you this, can Grayson. Get the same head cannon as me again. There's Grayson, no don't, way. Don't do it. Don't I do it. I bet my position on this podcast that there's <laughs> no way you could get the same head cannon. Grayson, I really like doing this podcast with you. Don't bet that. Go for it. If I lose, I'll get another guy that looks <laughs> and sounds exactly like me. You'll never even know the difference, but it will be different. <laughs> All right. As I mentioned before, um, I'm so scared. You should be <laughs> after what happened last time. Uh, so, as I mentioned before, in our fun fact section, uh, some of the ship's rigging for the Inferno was recycled for the Pirates of the Caribbean ship at Disneyland. I don't think that was a coincidence. I yeah. think that the Goonies takes place. In the same world that Pirates of the Caribbean does. And that this is one of either uh, Jack Sparrow's, you know, other crew members who just like, I want, or someone who got inspired by Jack Sparrow and decided, like, One Eye Willie is like one of Jack Sparrow's, like, fans who's like, oh man, I want to do what this guy did. I got good news and bad news. Oh, no. The good news is that's really good headcanon. Oh, no, Grace. The bad news is you got to keep doing this podcast with me. Oh, great. <laughs> no, that's great. So it's Pirates of the Caribbean, and it's just several centuries after. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool, cool. It'd be cool to see if you could uh, get a side-by-side still of some of the treasure. that Because pirate treasure... For a large part looks the same like i was trying to do a thing with hook at one point where it's like ah. thinking through that that is very similar kind of like chambers and you could probably do a pretty compelling side by side like with goblets things like that oh you just reminded me of another headcanon i had that i completely forgot about that has to do with hook so yeah. hopefully that's not your hook no, no 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 okay good so basically um so these are pirates and in hook as we reviewed it we discovered that like kids believe that all adults to be pirates but i do think that one-eyed willie and his crew based off of all the traps that he made because as we remember the lost boys are very very clever with their traps and their devices i do think that it is a group of misfit lost boys who did make it back to earth 
um, or like outside of Neverland, and they started growing up, and so they grew up to be the only people that they knew pirates like real life pirates and so that's what they became and then like at the end of the day they said all right great we're gonna become the greatest pirates ever and we're gonna hide our treasure and it's gonna be the best treasure ever and no one's gonna be able to find it unless they're a group of kids (laughs) just like us i like that so i have two pieces of headcanon i'm gonna try to get through them fairly quickly um, so the first piece, uh, I'm sorry, Grayson. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to have to get through it pretty quickly. Cause you only have a short round <laughs> season three. Uh, go ahead. Nice. <laughs> um, okay. So my first one has to do with a very bizarre choice that was made on the part of the directors for some of the extras. Um, if you notice in the scene where they're pulling all the pipes through the ground, uh, the Goonies are pulling the pipes and it's like ripping out of the walls of the country club mm-hmm. in the men's locker room shower. There is one guy that's wearing an eye patch, uh, and it's over the same eye that one eye Willie is missing. So my head cannon is that the people of the country club are actually the human embodiment of the pirates. Um, and that they have taken over this town. And the reason that they're trying to buy out all the land is because this is what they're confined to. This is their only way to like enjoy their fortune and have something even close to a life, but they can never leave Astoria. So they're slowly taking it over. Um, and so at the end, whenever you see the ship sailing off, my, my theory is that all of the country club people will be gone. Um, because they actually left on the, on the ships. Um, but until that curse is broken, they have been forced to live here. So it's not that it was like big evil country club coming in. It was that it was a pirate's curse that made them have to just make do with what they had. And they had all this money from their fortune. So that means a uh, second guy from the left in the shower is actually one-eyed Willie. Uh, I just thought it was such a bizarre choice. It had to mean something, and that's the closest I could come to justifying that. Wow. That's uh, yeah. that's great. My second one, I've pulled this headcanon in uh, previous episodes, but it's been a while, and uh, I think it was fitting here. Each of the Goonies uh, are one of the seven deadly sins. So... Let's get started. Uh, We're going to start with Mikey. So Mikey's sin is greed. He is the most focused on the treasure. He has altruistic reasons for doing it, but it is his main motivation is getting the treasure. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to fault him for it because of his motivations, but still greed uh, is kind of the... um, the driving factor there. Uh, mouth uh, is uh, pride. You get that from the way he combs his hair. He has a mirror that he carries around with him. He obviously thinks very highly of himself um, and to the point of being mischievous. Uh, but he does. It's clear that he has a, a healthy self-esteem. But pride would be uh, his... Uh, he represents pride, basically. Um We'll jump over to Chunk, Chunk Gluttony. That's an easy one. Um, Moving on to Data. Data was tricky. Now, I know you would think that maybe Sloth is Sloth, but I would make a case that Data is Sloth. Um, The reason being, that's why he makes the inventions, uh, to get things to do things for him. 
um, where in actuality he ends up having to do more work because of his inventions. But instead of just walking up and knocking on the door, he has to zip line through. Instead of just throwing a punch, he has to have some other thing like punch for him. Um, but he, he's basically trying to take the easy way out um, through each of his inventions. So that's why I attribute him to Sloth. Um, we'll go to Brandon, the older brother, um, Josh Brolin here. I had him as Envy. Um, at first, he comes across as Lust, but I actually think it's Envy because he wants to date Andy uh, while Troy is interested in her. But the second she kind of leaves Troy and goes to be with him, he turns into a jerk, really. Like, he seems to have lost interest. He's like, hey, when she's yelling for him in the caves, he tells the, one of the other kids, he's like, hey, go see what she's yelling about. Um, he becomes very detached. And I think that's because he's no longer envious. Like, he achieved what he was going after, and no one else is really, like, at risk of taking what he is uh, interested in. And so I, I think there's a lot of envy there. I think that's also... Uh, seen through his working out like he he's like envious of uh like bodybuilders things like that so there is an image or a lifestyle that he is clearly striving for um and sometimes falls short sometimes achieves it but when he achieves it he loses interest uh so that's why i believe that brandon is envy um and then going over to andy um uh uh I have her as lust. And I, <laughs> when I do these, I always hate to just attribute lust to the female character. I think that's like a really easy out a lot of the times, but she really does capture a lot of the qualities that you would see in that where she, uh, you see, well, the multiple kissing scenes for one, like she's very forward about it. She's actually instigating a lot of the contact between she and Brandon, a lot of the times and by accident, she and Mikey and that just seems to be a common theme that keeps coming up where the the relationship is there sure but the the actual like physical uh, uh i guess motivations sorry let me take that back because i hit the mic the relationship is there but the actual uh, like cause of the 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 physical uh aspects are typically motivated by andy um, so I was trying not to uh, ascribe her to less, but the, there really was no other character that embodied it the same way that she did. And even of just like, uh, I'm going to cut that out. Uh, she did was the end. Yeah. Um, and then finally is Steph, the, the friend or the, the Barb, if you will, for stranger things fans. Um, she, uh, is a great embodiment of wrath. No other character screams at somebody <laughs> else more than she does. She's angry about everything. Um, and wrath is typically very hard to uh, pin down in characters just because, like, a lot of characters get angry. She's a different kind of angry. She's, like, paralyzingly angry. And this may be a stretch, but even the fact that she loses her glasses, it's the idea of, like, she's so angry she can't see straight. Ah. Um, she's, like, blinded by anger. Um, so that that's all seven um, of the actual like goonies that are part of that group. Uh, seven of them, seven deadly sins. I just think it, it fit pretty well. I'm not saying that I think this was the design of the writers or anything like that. But as we've said in previous episodes where we use this type of headcanon, 
Um, these are archetypes that play off of each other really well. And I think that's why you get so many different um, personalities and perspectives that comes through in this story because each of these characters have a pretty clear motivation slash character flaw. Uh, so yeah, that's my primary headcanon. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, my last little bit of headcanon that I have is that um, this is all just in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Infinity War is just going to be uh, a Goonies 2 sequel? Because why else would Josh Brolin be this into getting a group of friends who have to save their town on this, the day of their daughter's wedding? Ma- got got a lot myself. of movies mixed up at the end there, but you get what I'm saying. Rosebud. And we, this is in our head canon. This is just from what they canon. said. This is just canon. It takes place in the same universe as Gremlins, based oh, yeah. on the sheriff call. Yeah, he said, oh, yeah, that time where you talked about those monsters that change when you get them wet. He's like, no, I really saw that. It was a crazy Christmas. <laughs> All right, now we're going to go into the part of the show where we like to do a little thing called recast and remake if this movie were to be remade today as a netflix original series it would be called stranger things but alternatively if it were to be made today um who would you cast in the roles and what would the storyline be um i mean again i would love to see this as a netflix series i mean Stranger Things aside, I really think that if they did a like Goonies TV reboot, I think that that would be a ton of fun. Um, we, I'm a big fan of Bob's Burgers, and so I saw an episode of Bob's Burgers in season two where they did a Goonies remake. I think that was their season premiere hmm. nod to the Goonies. Um, and after watching that, I'm like, oh, well, I, I guess the Belcher kids are a lot like the Goonies crew and so I think that it would be fun to see them do like go on all these different adventures but I'd switch it up with having it be animated in Scooby-Doo style because I love that style of animation Uh, I think that would be fun a nice little nod and throwback to the Goonies that'd be awesome and they wouldn't have to spend 19 million dollars every episode no (laughs) you're listening Netflix (laughs) So I kind of cheated on the recast and remake um, because I did the remake first. Ooh. Um, I would actually make this more of a sequel where these characters are old people. Uh, And they've grown up, but they still get into mischief. Um, Very similar motivations, like they need money for XYZ, all that. Um, Or maybe they need to go track down one-eyed willie's boat like they they saw him sail off they're in need to get in contact with him whatever it is but considering uh what these characters would be like uh as elderly folks i recast it under that premise (laughs) so we're just gonna run through these real quick mikey michael douglas mouth alan arkin chunk john goodman data Jackie Chan, Brandon, Tommy Lee Jones, because they know they can pull it off. Andy, Leah Thompson, she aged very well. And Steph, played by Sally Field. Wow. 
and it would be called the Gronies because they're all grown up. Oh my gosh, Grayson, you're so much closer to Hollywood than I am. Run to the studios, bang on the gates. But yeah. Then they can be like, they need money for retirement, for their families. Heck, make it a Breaking Bad style motivation. Whatever it is, <laughs> just get these people together. I'm doing this for my family. Say my name. <laughs> the the Gronies? No, the, the other one that people are more connected with. Oh, the Goonies. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You ask me to do the truffle shuffle? I am the danger. <laughs> Yes, you are, John Goodman. You are very scary. Oh, I I don't know how much money I'd pay to see John Goodman do the truffle shuffle. Um, but I'm guessing it's a lot. Probably 19 million. So we're right Nin- back to where we started. It's right about there. I feel like if they were to do um, like a like a true, like we're just going to remake the Goonies. I would love it if they did the same thing that they did with it, which was they brought it up like a decade. And so I would love to see the Goonies take place in the 90s. So that just make it in 1994. um, And it's basically the same thing. And uh, and I think Data's technology would be even better uh, and a ton more uh, just 90s based. Because I feel like. It's all about the childhood nostalgic era of, of like, you know, that group of friends that you um, basically become like a surrogate family um, mm. and you like experience life in your formative years and you have all these memories is that the other like regardless of like where you end up like these are your friends at that time in your childhood. And so I think age like putting them or doing a Goonies premise in the nineties lends itself very well. Even the early two thousands, like you can just pretty much go up or down a decade and have it be, um, amazing. Or even if it's, uh, (laughs) I feel like in the early two thousands or maybe even the nineties, um, instead of a pirate ship, it would end up being a pirate ship, but people are like, Oh no, it's like an alien spaceship. And like, you kind of play with a different genre. Like they say, oh, we found this alien spaceship. It's this conspiracy, this, that, the other. And and it, they just find it and it does end up being like a pirate ship, but they just thought it was an alien or whatever. Hmm. Um, it's still one-eyed really because the alien has one eye. Exactly. Yep. Now you're thinking with Goonies. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for a final segment called reasons to recommend. Uh, it's a part of the show where we don't need to explain it. We're just going to give you our reasons to recommend. Uh, so, Grayson, why would you recommend The Goonies? If you grew up around that time, you can probably relate to the friend dynamic between a lot of them. Even if you didn't grow up around that time, you can still appreciate the core desires that motivate these characters, which is friends, family, and protecting your home. Um, so there are a lot of really universal themes to it, and I feel like I say this a lot, but this movie is deceptively emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised, and not just sad emotional, like happy emotional too. Um, the the roller coaster up and down between laughing one scene and kind of like oh 
don't cry kind of <laughs> next scene was very surprising to me. Uh, and that's after having seen it several times uh, and playing the part of Data uh, a couple times every weekend. Uh, it is a, a movie that is highly rewatchable, um, great child performances in it, and does set the stage for a lot of other uh, movies that uh, felt very similar after it uh, and series shows as well. Um, not to mention Stranger Things. It is hard to ignore the similarities uh, between the group dynamic, the, the overtalk that they have with each other, uh, the heightened intelligence among the, the child actors. Um, these characters are friends. Like, you believe it 100%. Um, and it just looks like they must have had the most fun in the world making it. And that fun is infectious, and it jumps off the screen onto the audience. So, uh, I... If you just want a fun movie, check out Goonies. Wow. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. So I won't. Um, <laughs> I will disagree more. <laughs> yeah. I Like I said, I, I had a hard time actually getting into this movie. Um, but I think after watching it and reading about it and having this wonderful conversation that you're currently listening to, uh, I think I found the heart and soul of this movie, uh, which is nostalgia. I I think it's one of those rare movies where on its own merit, um, it might not hold up for you the same way it would hold up to someone um, who grew up with it. But I think the reason I'd recommend the movie is because this is um, one of those films that, changed the game for other films um not only was that movie that movie took a lot of risk and like like you know steven spielberg making a movie where so many people swear especially kids like and not like teenagers but like preteens like swearing and doing all these other things and um i think that because it succeeded so well um it really uh, gave these kids growing up in that generation uh, an identity. Uh, I think the in the impact that this movie had on a, a lot of kids who grew up during that time um, is still felt throughout. I mean, you look at not only the actors but a lot of the comedians and other um, you know talent who grew up during that time, and like their humor was like informed and formulated uh, from this movie the ripples of the effect of this movie are still felt today um i mean it gave us one of winston bishop from new girls best lines shame shame i know your name <laughs> you're right it's a great movie especially to remember what it's like to be a kid um i realized that part of the thing i missed out on in my childhood uh from being a very sheltered uh, kid was like this kind of sense of adventure of hanging out with like the neighborhood kids and like running around. Like my wife got so much more from uh, the movie than I did because she was like, yeah, it was like this. Like we would like go out and like run around and just have these little mini adventures. I'm like, oh man, that sounds like fun. <laughs> you got to get everywhere on a bike. Like that's yeah. the only way to get anywhere. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you just like knew the town, you knew the town's people, and all the other stuff. So, 
Uh, all that to say, it's a really great movie for nostalgia, um, and it is great to look at um, Stranger Things Prime. All right, guys, so that is our review of the 1984 classic, The Goonies. Let us know what you remember about The Goonies on Twitter. We are at Flashback Flicks, and please, it would mean the world to us. If you would leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts um, on a scale of one to five uh, Babe Ruth bars being fed to you by a stranger, how do you, would you rate this review? Yep. One being still pretty good because it's a Babe Ruth bar being fed to you by a stranger, but five, you're no it's longer like, a stranger. It's like point. a Babe Ruth being fed to you by someone you really like. Yeah, because now... That's isn't that better? It's I think that is a lot better. Are you gonna do on a scale of size one to size five shoes? Because that's one of my favorite lines of follow those size fives. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's perfect. Yes, absolutely. And be sure to tune in next time right here on season three of the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind.